I just want to say good morning to our frontline family. I am so glad to be with you this morning. Welcome to church. Welcome to those joining us in person throughout all of our campuses, as well as those connecting with us online. We gather for one purpose today, and that is to magnify and glorify the name of our King Jesus. And as you've just passionately worshipped Him in song this morning, let's continue to worship Him this morning with the same passion as we study His life-changing Word. Are you ready for the Word this morning, church? Are you ready to be nourished by the living Word of God? Are you hungry and thirsty for some truth? Jesus said that I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So let's come with hungry, thirsty, and expectant hearts this morning. Amen? Let's pray together as we commit this word to the Lord. Lord, we gather in your name this morning, and we commit this time to you in your presence. As your church here at Frontline, it is our desire to represent you the way that you deserve, individually and as a body. And so we ask, Lord, as we go through your word and learn about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a church that fulfills its mandate, that you would highlight areas of our lives in our church that need attention, that need your nourishment, that need your direction, so that we can move on to the greater things that you've called us to fulfill. Lord, this is your church, and we are your people. Come and have your way in each of us today. We pray this in your wonderful name, and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. You may take your seats this morning. It's so good to be with you, church. Church, today we are going to continue with our series on the book of Acts. We've taken about a, a six-week sabbatical from this series, and you may be thinking, Pastor, will we ever get through this book at the pace that we're going? Well, there's really no rush, firstly, and I'm not going anywhere. I hope you're not going anywhere. The Word of God certainly isn't going anywhere, and if it takes us a year or ten years, that's okay. We will leave that to the Lord. We will continue to allow the Lord to lead us week after week on what He wants from us, and the direction that he wants to steer us in. He knows what we need and when we need it. So we put all of our trust in his perfect will for us as his church at this part of his vineyard. This morning we're going to begin in Acts chapter 6. And it's a short chapter with only 15 verses. But even as short as it is, it is foundational in its direction for church organization and what it means to commit yourself and serve faithfully to the work of God. If you remember from our series thus far, thus far, the Lord had been adding to the church daily those who were being saved. Then as we continued through this book, we saw multitudes of people giving their lives to the Lord as the apostles started preaching with boldness. So we saw that the Lord not only adds, but He multiplies. And in Acts chapter 5, we saw how he subtracts Ananias and Sapphira from the church. But one thing that the Lord never does is divide. That's the devil's work, and he will employ people to do it. But we're going to see some form of division here in this chapter, and then we'll see how the Lord corrects that through his church and continues to add and continues to multiply. 
And that's really the purpose of any church organization or structure. It's to add and multiply what the Lord has entrusted us with. It's to steward the work of, or the, the work of the ministry according to God's design. Now, the church itself is an organism. It's the only spiritual organism in the world. We need to understand that. It's not like any man-made organization. It is the living organism of people connected to, life of, to the life of God through union with Jesus Christ. It's an organism. We share common eternal life. We share common eternal purpose because Jesus Christ lives in us. But we must be careful because there are people th who think that because of the reality of the church being an organism, that we need to run from being organized. We need to run from structure. Then everything needs to be somewhat free-flowing and, and lackadaisical. Yes, the church is an organism, but it's an organism that requires structure. It requires some organization. And the reason that it needs this is because the church has a mandate to fulfill. Bottom line, the church has a mandate to fulfill. You see, by the time you get to chapter 6, the church is significantly larger than when it started with the 120 in the upper room. It's numbering in the thousands and likely tens of thousands by the time we get to chapter 6. So we are talking about multitudes of people meeting together to honor the Lord. They met daily unofficially at the temple. They met officially at certain other places and certain times for public worship and public prayer and for the preaching of the gospel. They gathered for communion. They continued to baptize those that were coming to Christ. They met together on the first day of the week, which was identified as the main meeting of the church, kind of like what we're doing today. They were also breaking bread from house to house. And somebody had to make the bread. Somebody had to plan the meetings. And somebody kind of had to break down these thousands of people so that they could go from house to house. There were all sorts of needs because, you see, you had these Jews that came on the day of Pentecost for the Pentecost feast who were from all over the Mediterranean area and other parts of the world. They came to Jerusalem. The church is born. And they are now staying in Jerusalem because there's... There's nothing to go back to. They've come from Judaism to Christianity, and, and well, they don't want to go back. So they grow the church in number, but they have to be housed, they have to be fed, and they have to be cared for. And that goes on for years. Because years later, Paul is still raising money for, to care for the poor pilgrim saints who were still in Jerusalem that never went back home. So there was this need to raise, to raise and collect money. <clears throat> and as we've already learned, people were actually selling their property and taking the proceeds to distribute it to the apostles who were using the money to meet the needs of the people. People brought gifts, whether it was from the sale of property or perhaps what they had in their savings, and it was disbursed by the apostles to the people who were in need. So it didn't take long for the early church to develop a, a complex set of conditions that had to be fulfilled. 
Let's pick it up from scripture, scripture from verse 1, and we'll see how this unfolds. Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The first important thing to take from this passage is that they began to shape the structure of the church to fit the work of the Holy Spirit. God gave gifts to people. He pulled gifted people together so that when these people were added to the church and the church began to grow, the Spirit of God would prompt the hearts of people to serve in the work of ministry. They didn't come up with some plan and structure and try to to push the church into it. It was more a case of let's see what the Spirit of God does and see who the gifted people are that begin to do that ministry and then come behind them when we see that ministry unfolding and give whatever necessary support and structure and help that they need. They watched what it was that the Spirit of God was doing and they began to shape the structure to fit the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's important for any church that's trying to be like another church. Don't try and emulate what someone else is doing because the Holy Spirit has gifted each church with unique people, with unique gifts and a unique purpose. But you know what? That doesn't take away from our responsibility to make our gifts available to the work of the Lord because the work is great. And this work is really a love and a passion for continuing the works of Jesus. In verse 1 where it says, Now in those days the number of the disciples was multiplying. Church, do you know what a disciple is? It's the Greek word mathetes, and it means pupil, learner, one tutored, but implying a closer relationship than mere information, right? So these disciples, they were learners. They were students of Christ, the true followers of Christ. And they were literally increasing in explosive fashion. And this is where we come to the the beginning of the church's need to get organized. And the reason it needed organization was because there was inefficient ministry beginning to happen. That was the reason. And that's the first point we need to understand about spiritual organization. Spiritual organization needs to be applied when there's a dynamic living organism like the church of Jesus Christ that's growing, increasing, but becoming inefficient. And in some cases in today's church, spiritual organization needs to be applied where ministries have become stagnant and even falling apart because it's that important. So organization and structure is never an end in itself, but it's always a means to an end. In Acts chapter 6, the church was now ready to move to Judea, 
the rest of the land of Israel and into Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. They were ready to go global. But before they could even get out of their own town, they needed a bit of structure. They were on the verge of an evangelism explosion. They were on the edge of that. Of that. They were going to take the gospel to the whole world and to the Gentiles. And as always, church, whenever the church sets out to do this, evil forces will try to prevent it. We've already seen how persecution came against the apostles and it failed. It just emboldened them to preach with more fire and more passion and more commitment. And the second form of evil that attacked them was sin that was in the church when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. There was this deceptive hypocrisy that was taking place. But that didn't stop them either. But let me tell you, church, there is something that has stopped a lot of churches. Dissension and disunity. Verse 1 says, When the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And you know what? You could say that's inevitable in a church, right? Unhappy people, picky people, offended people. And yes, dissension in the body of Christ is nothing new. We've all seen it. And sometimes we've seen it in epic forms. And it's disappointing. You see, persecution tends to purify and refine a church. Blatant sin can, can be dealt with by the church. But dissension and disunity and murmuring and infighting can dissipate the energy of a church. It can turn a church inward so that all of its energy is literally focused on itself and not on the task that it has been called to do. And this can be so devastating. And I think as, as Noel put it a few weeks back, it's time for the church to grow up and focus on the task at hand. Petty pride, insignificant issues, bickering, discontent, jealousies, personal preferences and power struggles, all of that kind of stuff that makes up so much of church life, it literally saps the very strength out of the church. And we assure you as your pastors and eldership that these types of issues will be dealt with very strongly because we have a greater mission and task at hand. So back here in verse 1, we find a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. The old King James says a murmuring arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Remember, those were the Greek-speaking Jews that came from other parts of the world. And they were complaining because they were feeling that the, the distribution wasn't equal. Now, caring for widows was a part of being Jewish. This is a custom that they brought into the Christian faith. It's an Old Testament pattern. Caring for widows is what you did, and it is repeated in the New Testament. And it should be repeated until Jesus comes again. James chapter 1 verse 27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. 
And that's an interesting verse, that church, because the truth is, when you're caring for others, your focus is off yourself and the world that so easily corrupts you. Can I say that again? When you are caring for others, your focus is off yourself and the world that so easily corrupts you. So caring for widows was just a part of being Jewish, and it became a part of the Christian faith. The feeling, however, here was that it wasn't mutual. So what is going to be the solution? Verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And what's happening here is that because they were the apostles who had been with Jesus, and because there was no time for any leadership to develop or any structure to develop, everything fell to them. Absolutely everything. Everybody turned to them for everything, and they realized at some point that they can't handle it any longer at the level it was being demanded. They can't cover all the bases. And they said it is not desirable for us to ne uh, neglect prayer and the Word of God. In other words, we have a priority. We need to be looking to the Word of God, studying the Word of God, preparing to preach and to teach the Word of God. That's what they say in verse 4. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. It says continually. Other translations say we will devote ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And church, I don't know if you assume that every sermon ever preached by an apostle was direct revelation from God, because if you do, that's a wrong assumption. There are some apostles who did not write a book in the Bible, and we don't know that they got any specific revelation every time that they preached. So they were like anybody else who ministered the Word of God. They had to study the Word of God. Yes, they had been with Jesus, but they had to study the Word of God. And what was their Bible? It was the Old Testament. And they had now been able to understand the Old Testament because Jesus had gone through the Old Testament and taught them starting on the day of his resurrection. We will devote ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The word ministry is the Greek word diakonia, and it's the word for serve. So in other words, if we had to translate that, we will continually devote ourselves to prayer and to the serving of the Word. We can't serve tables. We can't serve the distribution of money and other needs. We have to find somebody to do that. And it wasn't that they were classifying themselves more important than everybody else who serves. But they were determined, church, not to let anything overpower the priority. That was the established priority. Praying to draw down the power of God and preaching to declare the truth of God. And the reason, church, it was and still is such a priority is because this is what is required for the equipping and the building up of the saints. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up. This is why we are all, all warned in spiritual leadership in 2 Timothy chapter 2. To do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of God. The word of truth. Paul calls to Timothy and he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Why? Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And church, why is the word of God such a priority in the life of the church? Well, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture, not some scripture, not some books, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why this was such a priority for the apostles. Not because they wanted title, because you know they had been with Jesus and they would now deserve more honor than everybody else. No. It was because they knew that prayer and the word had to take priority so that the gospel could now spread to the ends of the earth. Praying to draw down the very power of God and preaching to declare the truth of God. So the apostles established the priorities and request help to make sure that it continues. Which brings us to verse 3. Therefore, brethren... Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And what happens, church, is you go from, from an inefficient ministry to developing an efficient core of ministers. We already have the apostles. We already have those who have the overall, overall pastoral responsibility but here we move to and come to an efficient leadership for meeting the needs of the church. And I want you to notice the qualifications. It says, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you. What does that tell you? That tells you that the people in the congregation played a role. It doesn't say that the apostles picked the seven men and, and that's that. That's the way it's going to go. It says they need to be those whom you recognize, whom you deem of worthy and of good reputation. The church weighs in on that. And that's why you'll see through the years, when we bring someone into eldership, we first make that recommendation to the church. So that the church can confirm that they are of good reputation and above reproach, and that they are full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Because church, we all serve at the discretion of the congregation in the first place. We are all here to serve the congregation to make sure that the man and God of woman, a man and woman of God, which is you, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Church, I'm here to serve you as your pastor. I'm not here to lord over you. Yes, it's important to honor those that God has placed over us. There's massive spiritual significance in that. But we need to look to our perfect example for this. We need to look to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20, when Jesus was talking to his disciples about greatness in serving, this is what he says to them in verse 26. He says, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And you know what, church? There's so much in that verse that it could be a sermon all on its own. And I want to remind you this morning, if you are in a leadership position in the church or it is your desire to become a leader, remember that it's not about title and position. It is about servanthood. It's about serving the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can mature and grow up and continue the works of Jesus from Malbarton to Cape Town, right, to Congo, to Australia, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it says they must be chosen from among you. Which means, church, every person that we need to fulfill the mandate and mission of Frontline Church that says we see a new breed of worshipers creating atmospheres for breakthrough in every strata of society, restoring lives and transforming cities and nations, that means, church, all the people that we need for that are either part of the church right now or will be added by the Lord down the line. Are you hearing me, church? Within one of us is the next worship leader, leader that will create atmospheres for breakthrough. Within one of us is the next prophet or evangelist or pastor or teacher. Within one of us is the next ministry leader in a men's or women's ministry or someone that will head up the serving team. Within one of us is the next ministry leader in a feeding program or a ministry for the homeless, or for the abandoned children. It is within you to be in the ministry. Because church, the word ministry, remember, is the Greek word diakonia, which means to serve. And because the same Jesus, right, who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve, because that same Jesus lives in you, it is within you to serve. It is within us. The early church didn't look outside for a hireling or someone that had expertise in serving people. No. The Holy Spirit started to work in the hearts of people and they stepped into their gifting as they began to serve. They began to minister. They began to serve their gifts. Look at what happens in verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Everybody was happy with the idea. They didn't want the apostles to leave prayer and the word. They wanted that to continue. So they said that we are going to pick seven men. And you know what's fascinating about this church? 
All seven names are Greek names. The apostles could have said, you know what, let's rather have three Greek Jews and four Israeli Jews just to balance everything off. But they didn't. They were like, you know what, if this is what the Lord has laid on your heart, these are your people, you take care of the whole thing. Yes, we'll support you and we'll bring the necessary structure, but you serve the gift that the Holy Spirit has imparted into you. I want to challenge some of your thinking here this morning. You see, we often make this distinction in our Christian walk, and we think that it's the church's responsibility to start a ministry or to meet that need. And I want to remind you today that you are the church. You are the church. You carry the heart of Jesus inside of you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And more often than not, church, the most effective ministries in any church are the ones that are inspired by individuals who have a passion and to meet a certain need and to minister their gifts for the glory of God. And you know what? If God is behind it, nothing on this earth will stop it. Doors will open, finances will come, people's lives will be changed. There's a lot more that I want to share with you from Acts chapter 6, which we'll do next time. But in closing this morning, I want to encourage you to bring you. Let me say that again. I want to encourage you and urge you to bring you. Bring what the Lord has birthed in you. Come and minister your gift. Come and be a serving part of this organism called the Church of Jesus Christ. And yes, it may mean you need to bring your character into alignment to serve those gifts appropriately as we all do. But allow that to happen. Allow the correction to come. Allow the growing up to happen. It's not a bad thing to grow up in Christ. Because church, if you don't grow up and bring you, someone isn't going to see the love, the compassion, the gentleness, the tenderness, the beauty, and the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's why the scripture says we need to grow up into Christ. Because it's only then that we will show up as representatives of Christ. We need to grow up so that we can show up. And in case you think I'm picking on you this morning, I want to close by reading the words of Paul to the, the church at Ephesus. And it's just as applicable for us today. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by everyone of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, I hope you know that's what I've been doing this morning. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your direction through your word this morning. And we ask that as your body here at Frontline Church, that we would not only be hearers of your God-breathed word, but that we would be doers also. I pray that we would realize that we all have something to bring. We all have a gift to serve. And Lord, that it's in our serving that your name will be made great throughout the world. We look to you, Lord Jesus, as our perfect example, and it is our desire that we would truly grow up and become mature servants that serve your purposes and your plans. And we ask this all in the wonderful and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.